All right, hey, Colossians chapter 2, Colossians 2 is where we're at. Um, let me explain kind of what we're doing and why we're doing this. I love walking in the hallway on Sundays and seeing just the whole book of Colossians written out at the end of the hallway. Hopefully you saw that. It's so cool for us to see that. Um, the reason why we want to do this is um, Paul in Colossians and in various books like a Philippians, and it was so cool just to hear of the scriptures being read about Jesus. We've taught through some of those. He, he, Paul has such a high view of Jesus. Here's the idea. You might say, I have an extremely high view of Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my God. I have a high view of Jesus. In reality, it can't be high enough. Paul is basically saying, in Jesus is everything we need. So I want you to follow kind of the progression of what Paul is writing. He's saying, hey, to the believers, the new believers, the young believers in Colossae, this church that God is growing, in verse 15 through 20, he gives us probably the most important scripture on Jesus. We read that scripture today. He gives us such a high view of Jesus. And he says, here's who Jesus is. Follow the thought really quick with me. Here's who Jesus is. And he says, and you being dead in your sins, he says, and here's who you are. And he goes, now God wants to mature you and grow you, and you are a part of this ministry. So it goes from this high view of Jesus to you, to your role. And then last week we looked at, if you're with us, it's, or two weeks ago, it's Colossians chapter 2, verse like 4 through 10. He's saying there's going to be some human philosophies and ideas and principles that the church tries to like intermingle with the Christian worldview. If you guys were with us a couple weeks ago, I'd highly recommend going back, maybe take a listen, because for them it was something called Gnosticism. Gnosticism was this idea that material is evil, spiritual is good, so Jesus' resurrection could not have been physical because material is bad, and there's a lot of other nuances to that. We don't really see Gnosticism too much today in South Florida here, but we looked at our issues, hedonism, uh, scientism, relativism, we looked at different isms, but different philosophical things that our church, the church at large, can kind of blend with. Uh, there's something just called syncretism. It's almost like this Frankenstein belief system, like, I believe a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit, aren't, isn't it all true? Can't we just coexist? And Paul speaks and fights against that and says, no, it's only in Jesus. In Jesus, the full deity dwells bodily. Everything you need is in Jesus. So follow the, the train of thought. Paul is saying, I want to fight against the Gnostic beliefs, the syncretistic beliefs that are coming into the church. And now we'll see this week and next week is I also, want to I also want to fight against the religious beliefs that are not biblical. They're not gospel. I also want to fight against the beliefs that it's Jesus and something else. Jesus and circumcision. Jesus and baptism. Jesus and keep the law. And then if you do that, you're a true Christian or you're a true follower. Paul does something beautiful here. It'll take a couple weeks to break down. We're going to look at five whole verses. Um, so we were trying to slow down as we run through Colossians. I think we'll get more into our relation to the law next week. So just bear with me in case you're like, that doesn't answer every question. That's okay. Um, Paul will look at more like, here's our relationship to the law in light of Christ. We'll see that more next week. But today, what I want to look at is something he ends with, this triumph in him. If you've been reading through Colossians with us, and maybe you saw it out there, how many times do we see in him, by him, through him, with him, in him. It's just constantly in him. And Paul is saying this, everything you need is in him. Please hear this. Whether you have a religious background, everything you need is in Jesus. If you have a non-religious background, everything you need is in him. Paul's going to give a few different metaphors. I'm going to look at four metaphors Paul gives, and it seems to me that he's giving metaphors that might relate more to the religious, or two metaphors that relate to the religious, and two metaphors that relate to the Roman anti-religious, non-religious. And so we're going to look, break down those metaphors in just a moment. 
But Paul is basically saying it doesn't matter who you are. What you really need is found in him. And so the, the title today is simply Victory in Him. I wanted to title, I wrote down like 15 titles. I wanted to call it uh, Everything You Need is Found in Him. And I just went off and did like 10 more. And I'm like, I got to delete these. Um, but the, the idea is this, what you are looking for, this, this triumphant life is in him. I love that the New Testament, John does this as well in 1 John 5. He basically says the victory you need is in him. The victory we have is our faith in him. That's the victory. So here's the idea, church. Um, you and I are not trying to fight for victory in our Christian lives. We're trying to fight, fight from victory. And the, the whole idea is Jesus paid it all. He conquered it all. You don't need to fight for victory anymore. You're fighting from this place. We have victory. And let's fight. And now there's these little micro battles, but we have the, the big wars won. And now we're fighting from this place of victory. And so Paul is kind of introducing this idea. So um, are you guys with me? Yeah? So I want to break down the metaphors he gives. It's a little bit different today in that way. And then uh, I just want to see what we have in him. So why don't we do this? It's a really cool text. Five whole verses. Why don't you stand? And we're going to read uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. I'm just going to read it. Just follow along in your head. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Remember, two weeks ago, and maybe if you don't remember, that's okay. He says, all of the deity dwells in him bodily. In verse 9 and 10. Now, verse 11. In him, everyone just say, in him. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Can we just say all? all. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Oh, you can just say amen. Oh, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him. Victory in him. Why don't we just pray, and then you can sit after we're done praying. Father, we just want to thank you so much that we have victory in him. Lord, I ask for myself and for everyone in this room that we would truly come to you, Jesus, because we are weary. And we ask that you would do, we trust, actually, that you will do what you said, you will give us rest. Lord, I ask for those maybe who have a religious bent or background or a non-religious bent or background. Thank you, God, that you meet our deepest needs, that you've canceled our debt, that you've won that war, that in you, Jesus, we have the legal demands, the law which demands righteousness is found in your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would speak and move and bring clarity to this text in your wonderful name. Amen. You can be seated. This is not anything new or something you don't know, but um, whenever you read any passage in the Bible, obviously you have to kind of zoom out. Like if you are new or newer and you're like, oh, we're talking about circumcision today. Yeah. Sometimes you got to zoom out and see the big storyline of, of the Bible. I think this is very important. Um, on Tuesday, my wife was um, in our bedroom and our daughter walked up and she found my wife's like little Bible. She's a cool little, little Bible. It's like fun. And like, you know, you're a kid, you see this little Bible. You're like, oh, it's a kid Bible, but it's not. It's like a normal Bible. 
and she brings it to my wife, and she's like, Mom, will you read this to me? And like as a parent, like, of course, I would love to read the Bible. And she opens it up, and she goes, read this. So she opened it up, and she had some, she's, she doesn't want to read, she's four, by the way, okay? So she opens it up and goes, Mom, read this. And she points to Jeremiah uh, 2, <laughs> tw- or, sorry, 18, 21. This is the verse my wife reads. Therefore, deliver up their children to famine. Give them over to the power of the sword. Let their wives become childless and widowed. May their men meet death by pestilence. Their youths be struck down by the sword in battle. And she's like, I'm going to stop reading there. Um, and it is, it's funny because she opened up and literally was like, read that. And I was like, I don't, nah, let's not read that. Um, and the re- idea is this. Of Jeremiah had his reasons. I'm not going to get into Jeremiah's reasons right now. But the idea is when you just open up the scripture and read it, and you're like, mm, what's going on there? It's very important for us to zoom out because we just read about, he said, hey, in Christ, circumcision, baptism, all the spiritual demands are fulfilled in him. And so my point today is I want to zoom out a little bit. I, I want to look at this, this big storyline that the scripture gives us. Obviously, you know this, and we believe that God created man. God created us in his image, both male and female. God created us in his likeness. Such a beautiful thing. We have intrinsic value. God created something beautiful. Sin marred that. Sin ruined that. We brought sin into the world. We disobeyed God. We went against God's command. And through then really brings death. God in his grace did not immediately destroy man, but there would be physical death that would later hit man. There would be spiritual death that happened. God also said, you know what? In my grace and mercy, I'm going to give you something called the law and how to live. The law was not evil. The law was good. It actually shows here's how to live. But the problem with the law is it could tell us how to live but not give us the power to do it, to execute it. We'll talk more about our relationship to the law next week. But the law was good, but we could not keep it. So God promised in this old covenant, in Jeremiah 31 specifically, God's like, I will give you one day a new law, a new covenant, and I'm going to write it on your heart. And then Jesus says, a new covenant I give to you. Jesus picking up on Jeremiah 31, Jesus with his disciples in the upper room during Passover, he goes, let me tell you about this new covenant, and it's defined by love. Paul in Galatians 5 does something brilliant. Paul says, all the law can be summarized in this one word, love. There's something beautiful about that. That love is a fulfillment of the law. But the reason we have this, and I want to break this down, is we participate in something very unique. Like, you think about the Christian tradition belief system. We would say that the first Jew was Abraham, right? That Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. Um, But Abraham was the first father of faith. God's like, Abraham, I'm calling you to live distinctly and differently. I want to enter into this covenant with you. Your children, your children's children will do this. And the first thing God gives Abraham is this idea of circumcision. So before I kind of break that down, we're going to talk about circumcision. Welcome to church. Um, You're like, Josiah brought a friend today. Please don't talk about circumcision. That's the first whole point today. Um, Actually, we have... No, I'm not. Never mind. Um, (laughs) Here's what we're going to do today. The four metaphor Paul gives that is very necessary for us to know is this. Number one is circumcision. He talks about baptism. He talks about debt. He talks about war. I personally believe that Paul... And this is very interesting. It's... It's hard when you use it. Paul's writings are unique. He, he writes in very long sentences, and it's very wordy, and, and like he's making one big point, but through that one big point, there's all these sub-points that are amazing. So Paul's just dropping metaphor after metaphor after metaphor, and you're like, hey, Paul, what are you saying here? So we're kind of looking at this, like four metaphors, one cross. Four metaphors, one cross. And Paul is brilliant. He just breaks this down. And this is needed because if you look at the first two metaphors of uh, circumcision and baptism, it speaks more to that religious understanding of here's what you need to be right with God. Then you can look at this idea of debt and even uh, of war or this military analogy, military analogy he gives. It speaks more to that Roman and their understanding. 
So I just think Paul is brilliant. He's like, let me show you whether you're religious or not religious, we all have needs and everything you need is found in Jesus. Is this making sense so far? Yeah, okay, maybe not, it's okay. So here's the first one. Number one is this, um, circumcision. Let's read again verse 11. Verse 11, Paul says, in him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. When I say we need to zoom out, we need to zoom out because we need to see how we're part of something much bigger. God's like Abraham, Abraham, this is going to be a unique, distinct thing. You and your children and this covenant I'm entering into, they're going to enter into it by really part of it. One is circumcision. It's Genesis chapter 17, verse 10. Uh, this is what God says. This is my covenant. We'll put it up here. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. So right away, God goes, this is going to be the thing that kind of, you're different, Abraham. I'm calling you out. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had the 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. This is going to mark you. This is going to be different. You're going to be circumcised. Now, I want to be really clear, too. Um, this is not just so much about this outward, even though it was physical and even though it was outward. This is not just a New Testament idea. God is trying to show them and say to them, it's not just I want your outward, private area cut away. Ultimately, I want your heart, that flesh around your heart, cut away. So let me just kind of put this up there. It's Deuteronomy, because it's Old Testament. This is not just a New Testament idea. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, uh, it says, God says this, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. So Paul picks up on this idea of circumcision and says, okay, circum again, I'm sorry. This is just, if you're new, we, this is not normal. We don't talk about circumcision every week. But there's something beautiful about being a part of this covenant. And there was something within the early church, and we'll look at this more again next week, but when you had all these Gentiles getting saved and believing on the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua, and they're believing on him, and then it's awesome, and they're being saved, what was happening is there was different people groups, some called them the Judaizers, who would go in and say, awesome, you're saved. But to really be part of this covenantal promise, Gentiles, you need to get circumcised, and you need to get baptized. And actually, to this day, if you like Google, how can I become Jewish, all right? You'll see, you got to get circumcised and baptized. And the first two things Paul deals with is circumcision and baptism. So we'll get to baptism in a second. But this idea of like, yeah, great, you believe in Jesus, now get circumcised. Now go through a mikvah and get baptized. So let's look at the first one. The first one, the idea of, of circumcision. Paul brings this up and says, no, God wants to circumcise your heart, not, not with hands. We're not talking about hands here. This is what God says. I want to circumcise the foreskin of your heart. You're like, what is that? Okay, before I try to answer that. Um, let me actually show this. Paul's argument is just made throughout the New Testament. And there's like two partial, there's two fulfillments of circumcision. One is this. Jesus kept the law because Jesus kept the law. That is now transferred over to my account. Jesus was circumcised. So let me just be clear. All you adult men, if you're not circumcised, you don't have to get circumcised. You can be like, okay. You can relax. Um, in Christ, he fulfilled the law on your behalf. That's beautiful. So the law still needs to be fulfilled. And Paul's trying to make two arguments. One argument is the law does need to be fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled that, fulfilled that on your behalf. The second argument is, it's never been about that. It's always been about the, the issues of the heart, the flesh around the heart. Paul in Galatians chapter 6 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. That's, it's never been about that. God just has wanted to create this new creation. Another idea, it's Romans 2 verse 28. You might know this, but it's just very thorough. He says this, for, Listen, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Remember the argument, you need to become essentially Jewish now. Believe in Jesus, 
and become Jewish by participating in circumcision. He says, no one is a Jew who is one outwardly, Romans 2.28. Nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, referring to the letter of the law. So ultimately, Paul is saying, God has really cared about the, the flesh around your heart, not this flesh in this private area. <laughs> it's been more about, I want to cut away around the flesh of your heart. Well, here's what I want to look at, okay, for a second. What does it mean to be circumcised of the heart? Such a weird question. <laughs> but what does it mean to be circumcised? This is like the New Testament thing. Like, this is important. Be circumcised of the heart. Here's a simple way of putting it. Um, it's what you ought to do and want to do finally line up. So the law might say you ought to do this, okay? Here's how we ought to live. There are certain imperatives in the, in the scriptures. Live this way, do this. Circumcision of the heart is like the, the difference of I know how I ought to live, and now Jesus has done such a beautiful work in me, I actually want to live that way. So it's no longer I ought to do this. It's when the ought and want meet. That's circumcision of the heart. This is how I ought to live, but actually, I want to I live. I want to please him. So the argument's not, now, therefore, go get circumcised. He's saying, no, no, that's fulfilled in Jesus. The, the argument is, um, there is this tenderness around your heart. There is this flesh around your heart that God's like, I want to cut away the flesh, the flesh. You'll see that phrase a lot. We actually haven't spent a lot of time. You'll see Paul write about this a lot in Romans, um, the flesh. I actually want to point out the verse in verse 11. He says, a circumcision made with hands by putting off the body of the flesh, by putting off the body of the flesh. He's saying God wants you to cut away and put off the body of the flesh. Let me read to you this one verse, one more verse. It's Galatians 5. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Can we just sit in that verse for a second? Those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. God's like, this is, what I, this is the circumcision I care about. I care about the flesh. The flesh meaning... This is the natural thing I would do apart from God. Naturally, I want to be selfish. I want to be greedy. I want to choose me first above you. I want to fulfill my needs. Who cares about your needs? Naturally, if this feels good, do it. The flesh is just that first kind of inclination. And he's like, if you belong to Jesus, you're putting that to death. You're crucifying the flesh. You're putting that to death. God cares about the circumcision of the heart. God's like, it's not so much this outward thing. It's always been a matter of the heart. Um, I have two boys, and also this. Uh, this is maybe too private. I've seen, I've witnessed two circumcisions. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, fun fact, don't, you know, my, luckily my kids are little. Um, <laughs> it's very, it, it's, it's a lot. I honestly couldn't, it's hard to be in the room. Here, here's why I bring this up. If you think about this idea of, um, this, it's tender, it's sensitive, it's private, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It's bloody. <laughs> Do you understand what the Bible's saying about sin? He's saying, man, it's uncomfortable. I don't want to talk about my sin. It's private. It's my thing. Don't worry about my sin. It's bloody. It's messy. It's kind of gross. Kind of weird, Josiah. You're making me feel a little weird. <laughs> He's like, sin. That's sin. It's bloody. It's gross. It's uncomfortable to talk about. I don't want to go there. You don't need to know that. You don't need to know what's going on. Paul's like, you know what God really wants? God wants your heart. God wants your heart to have this sense of purity of Lord. I'm your, I've cut away. I put that away. It's done. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Uh, it's not circumcision of the outward, it's of the inward. Hey, God, cut away that flesh. Cut away that thing I don't want to share with anyone. Cut away that, that thing that's bloody. 
the thing that's messy. And the idea of, of it being cut off, there is this biblical idea. You'll see this throughout the Old Testament in different ways, how people were cut off, cut off, cut off. It's actually such a bigger picture. Jesus was ultimately cut off for us so we could be brought in. And this idea of circumcision, of this cutting off so you could have intimacy with God. Think about this, this cutting of the flesh so you could have intimacy with God, be close to God. This idea now of Jesus, like this, he was cut off for us on the cross so we could now have intimacy with God. There's a greater picture of circumcision that's Paul saying. So twofold, he's going, hey, for the, for the religious people who are saying, hey, Gentiles, now go, get, now go get circumcised. One, Jesus fulfilled the law. He was circumcised so that you're in him in that way. Like, you're good. You don't have to do that. Number two is never about that. So I hope you guys are tracking with me on the first analogy. Is everyone like, can we move on from circumcision? Okay, we can move on. Let's talk about it more. I'm just kidding. All right. Um, <laughs> number two is this. He moves on to say, hey, it's circumcision, then baptism. We'll look at the verse 12 and 13. He says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. So I said this, but this is actually very interesting. If you want to become Jewish today or back then, the two primary things is get circumcised and get baptized. That was true then. That's true today. You want to be a Jew? You want to be under this covenant with God? Get circumcised, get baptized. The reason why I bring this up to you guys about baptism. Baptism is not a Christian thing that we invented. Baptism is actually a really kind of just beautiful tradition that we get to be a part of, that followers of Jesus have been doing, yes, for a couple thousand years, but it follows such a beautiful Jewish tradition as well. You know, um, if you go to Israel to this day, I mean, maybe not today, but if you go to Israel, um, at the southern steps, you'll see these mikvahs these like ceremonial baths. Um, everyone just say mikvah. It's fun. It's a fun word. Mikvah. All right. Just think of like this. For us, it's like a baptismal. All right. It's just a ceremonial bath. Um, I think we have the picture up. You can kind of see the southern steps uh, below. You kind of see, it's kind of hard to see there. Uh, you'll see the mikvahs. We'll zoom in a little bit on one of them. If we can put that one up. Here's the idea. It's actually really cool. They found this not too long ago, but going up the southern steps, which would lead up to the temple, there'd be these mikvahs everywhere. And if you want to go worship the Lord, if you're a Jewish and you want to go to the court of the Jews, you'd have to get into the mikvah. There'd be the ceremonial cleansing. It's actually a really cool thing. It's like, I'm going to go worship. A lot of times, even to this day, a lot of Hasidic Jews or Orthodox Jews, they might get a mikvah before the Sabbath. They might, a lot of them obviously go into a mikvah. Women go into it before they get married. There's different ceremonies and reasons when they might enter a mikvah. But there's a lot of different reasons. And here's kind of the idea of a mikvah then and today. It's been described amongst like the, you know, uh, a lot of Jewish uh, people today, as a womb and a tomb. I find that interesting. Mikvah is described as a womb and a tomb. A baptism, I hear it this way, a baptism is described as a womb and a tomb. It's almost the idea, it's viewed as like, here's this, this, this mikvah, here's this water, this ceremony, this cleansing. It's almost like you're being reborn. It's a womb. It's almost like you're coming out new, fresh, clean. And so there's that idea of it being like a womb. Jesus picks up on this and talks about this with Nicodemus, a very religious man who would know and do this a lot, a guy named Nicodemus, right? And he would talk about how you must be born again. I actually do believe your mind would be connected to this mikvah thing, this idea of like, oh, this ceremonial washing, this cleansing. But it's described as like a womb and a tomb. The idea, again, is the tomb being you're going in here, I'm dead, dead to me, dead to my will, dead to my flesh. I want to be alive to God. 
I believe Paul picks up on that in a really beautiful way here in Colossians and Romans 6. There's some verses crossover that kind of you see Paul's heart. So Romans 6, verse 3 and 4, uh, Paul puts it like this. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death and were buried, with, buried therefore with him by baptism into death? In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul makes that connection with the mikvah of like this tomb idea. We've been baptized into the death of Jesus. Meaning, you think about baptism and how we put it today. And by the way, like it's just, it's hard. I've been doing baptisms for a while. And sometimes I hear the same Christian jokes over and over again. Like, if you've been a big sinner, you're going to hold you down longer. (laughs) Okay, we got to stop doing that church. Yeah. Anyways, or like you get out of the water. It's like, hey, you left the water pretty dirty. (laughs) Like, stop it. We got to stop doing the Christian cliche jokes. But the idea is beautiful. The idea is I'm identifying with Jesus in his death, his burial, his resurrection. So baptism is a beautiful idea of I get to identify with Christ. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And you and I are baptized into his death. So therefore, we're baptized into his resurrection. He's saying it's such a beautiful idea that you say, I have been crucified with Christ. Remember that? I'm, I'm Josiah, dead, Christ in me, hope of glory. We've looked at that in Colossians. But just saying, I'm dead. I identify with Jesus and his death, his burial, his resurrection. This beautiful idea of Romans 6, verse 4, that last phrase, if we can put it back up, he says, and to walk now in a newness of life. That's about walking in newness of life. Okay, it's such a beautiful thought to say, now your, your mindset is, I'm going to walk in the, with Jesus now. I'm going to walk in this newness of life. So here's what I want to make, be clear on, too. I don't lead to, like, baptismal regeneration. I don't believe that baptism saves you. I don't believe the Bible teaches that baptism saves you. I do believe that baptism is a beautiful, sacred, significant thing that we should do to identify with Christ. But I want to be very clear because I do think it's a, something that the church can get in arguments about. I'm just kind of sharing my heart on this. I think the man who's on the cross is like, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus is like, dang it, you can't get baptized. I'm so sorry you're out. I don't, I don't believe in baptismal regeneration that way, but I do believe that if you have the opportunity, I want to say almost must and should and ought and want to do it. Jesus told us in Matthew 28, right? Go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded. Just really quick, love that. Hey, part of the Great Commission, a huge part of it actually, a significant part, Preach the gospel, baptize. So we're going to do it. (laughs) We're going to do it a couple weeks. I mentioned that. We're going to do it. Preach the gospel, baptize. And notice this, in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three names. I love Jesus that way. In the name, but I'm going to give you three. Not in the names. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so we do this. We want to be obedient to this. We get to identify and relate to Christ in his death, burial, resurrection, we can say, yes, I actually, it's such a cool thought to me, because like when, whenever we're part of baptism, sometimes it's so cool to go, Lord, like for the couple of thousand years now, people have been baptized into the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like we're joining in with such a beautiful like thing throughout the world of saying, no, no, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that, that's not the thing that saves you, but we've described it just like circumcision, baptism. It's an outward celebration of an inward transformation. That's the simplest way we can try to put it. Circumcision is never about the outward, it's about the inward. Baptism is never about the outward, it's about the inward. Baptism is an outward celebration. Yes, yes, we're with you. Jesus did this and you did that. How cool. You're doing something Jesus did. You're doing something Jesus commanded. What an amazing thing we get to participate in. 
The idea is like, yes, awesome. And it's this outward celebration of what Jesus already did inwardly. I've been dead, but he raised me to life. And it's the speaking of resurrection. Paul's making this baptism resurrection kind of analogy or metaphor. The thing you and I need the most is resurrection. The thing that we need, the, there's nothing we need. We need to know and experience the fact that if you die, you shall live if you believe in Jesus. And he says it's baptism is a beautiful illustration of, look, God took me who is dead in my sins, but made me alive. So baptism is this thing where we're like, yeah, let's go do that. Remember what Jesus did in you? Let's go do that and celebrate that publicly. It's almost like the wedding, then the after party. Like, the wedding happened, you're saved. Now let's go celebrate that. And let's go rejoice in that. It's such a beautiful thing. So this idea of baptism, and then another fact, the word baptism here, even it just means, uh, this word Greek in Greek, it's just baptismo. It means to be immersed. That's why we do that. Um, I love it because early on in my faith, it's funny, I took that like, I was very intense on that. Um, when I was like baptizing in the first couple of years, like 10 years ago, uh, I was baptizing with a friend and uh, we went, we talked, we prayed this guy, we go to baptize him. And, you know, we want to immerse him. And we're in the ocean, and it's me and this skinny dude. And we go to baptize him. And as we go to baptize him down, the water recedes. We're in the ocean. The water recedes out. And so, like, we can't dump, dip him any lower. And I'm like, hey, just, like, just one minute. <laughs> we literally just sat here like this. And I'm like, it's coming. <laughs> like, washed over him. And I'm like, that was the most uncomfortable baptism ever. But it's amazing. I love it. It's like, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. I just want God fill. The idea is this. Head to toe, Lord, I'm yours. Everything. All I am is yours. And it's, by the way, I'm not, we're not, I'm not even against, obviously, the pouring or different forms of baptism. There's some for health reasons that cannot do that and experience that. I don't think God's like, it has to be fully immersion. But the heart of that is just from head to toe, God, I'm yours. I'm yours, Lord. I'm all in. God, I, I've died with you. I've been raised with you. Thank you. It's such a beautiful thing. You want to be a Jew? Get circumcised, get baptized. Paul's argument, you are in Christ. But still, that's the first, but still, circumcision of the heart matters. And baptism matters too, because we have to identify with Jesus and we're commanded to do this. So it's fulfilled in him, but we still also want to pursue that. Make sense? All right, I'll keep going. So those are the first two analogies. I think it's unbelievable. Number three is this, debt, debt. Paul moves on in verse uh, 13 and 14. Why don't we just put the verse up here? Verse 13 and 14. Paul says, uh, the end of verse 13, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This is an unbelievable statement, and I don't know if I can do full justice to it, so bear with me. Um, Rome, you know, had something called the certificate of debt. If you were a criminal, you did something wrong, you were given a certificate of debt. The certificate of debt, if it wasn't a capital punishment, meaning you're going to die, it, the certificate of debt would usually be like nailed to your jail cell and say, here's the crime, and essentially here's the time. It was like, here's the crime, and here's how long you're here. As long as you were there for that period of time, you served that, Eventually, you'd be released, you go to a judge even then, and they would basically notarize it, like they put their stamp of approval on it, and it'd essentially be paid to less die, paid in full, it is finished. That is the idea. And someone's like, hey, aren't you the guy that did that? Yeah, let me pull it out. Guess what, though? I paid my time, paid to less die, it is finished, it's done. The debt is canceled out. That's the idea, essentially. If it was a capital punishment, they'd usually put it above the person's head. Obviously, Rome, Romans, they'd usually crucify. That's like a primary, primary you know, way to, to kind of end someone's life. And they'd put their crime above their head. You guys remember with Jesus, obviously, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Um, I think more cynically putting that. Just king of the Jews. Jesus, that's his crime. King of the Jews. On the cross... Jesus' crime was nailed. On the cross, Jesus was nailed. Jesus was nailed to the cross. On that same cross, the handwriting of requirement that was against us, my debt, its legal demands, was nailed to the cross. 
what Paul is saying is both Jewish and Roman. So hear this. He's saying, I could essentially, on that cross, put the Torah, all the commands you've broken. James makes it really clear. You break one, you break them all. We could put the Ten Commandments. We could put the 613. We could put all of the commandments above, in a sense, Jesus and say, hey, guess what? It wasn't just his crime or him, his body. He was, you know what was nailed to the cross? The handwriting of, of debt that was against us. This debt that you and I, this debt of breaking the law of God, breaking, the, breaking that, was nailed to the cross. And obviously Jesus, who's the judge, goes, it's notarized. Tay to lest die, it's finished. I'm going to put my stamp of notary on it. What a beautiful thought, Paul. When Paul is saying this debt that was again, this debt that we had to God, not just like, oh, I've sinned a lot. Like, I've, I've fallen short of the glory of God. I've fallen short of the law. Of, I could never keep it. And he goes, that debt has been nailed to the cross with Jesus. That is so freeing. In him, in him, with him, by him, through him. This is what he's saying over and over again. The thing I could not keep, the debt I could not pay. The famous hymn says, I had a debt I could not pay. He paid the debt he did not owe, having nailed it to the cross. There's so much nailed to the cross that day. Can we just take this in for a second? Because you think, Jesus, thank you for dying for me and hanging on the cross. What was nailed to the cross? There's so many things. I don't know. A couple things. One is this, condemnation of sin. What was nailed to the cross that day? That condemning feeling that sin brings? We know Romans 8.1, Right? There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, to those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. But hear this. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I say this? Um, on the cross, that condemnation of sin was nailed to the cross. In him. Like, I, I think sometimes it's easy for me to know I'm forgiven, but to feel I'm forgiven, that condemnation. I was like, I also want to take care of that. This is not just theory. This is not just, I hope you know this intellectually. I love, he's like, you know that condemnation we can all get? Can you know that that was nailed to the cross? That he, who, whom he justified, he also sanctified, he justified you, he sanctified you, he freed you. We say, thank you, Jesus, that condemnation was nailed to the cross that day. Not just condemnation, but the idea of the curse of the law. I, I want to be really clear because we're going to try to get to this next week because I do want to talk about our relationship to the law because I think it matters for a lot of reasons. But here's the idea. What was nailed to the cross that day was the curse of the law, the curse the law brings. You're like, where does it say that? Listen to this. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. This is what Paul writes. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all these things written in the book of the law. And do them. Curse is one who does not abide and do them. Then verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It's unbelievable. When you think about this, Christ became a curse. He redeemed us from being under the curse of the law by becoming the curse. The curse of the law, everything the law tells you and I to do and we could not do them. The curse of the law, he goes, it was nailed to the cross. It's in him. You're not under this, you're not under that. You're under Christ. You're in Christ. 
it's this idea of like everything that you and I, this guilt, this shame, this idea of I, I've fallen so, like all of it's true. Yes, you have broken the law of God. Yes, you have sinned. Yes, you are far from God. Yes, all that is true. But you realize that Jesus on the cross bore your sin and my sin and it's nailed and it stayed there and it's, it's done. It is paid in full. It is, it is notarized by Jesus. It is finished. That's it. It's done. And that is an amazing thing to go, yes, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Why try to resurrect this thing that Jesus killed? It's dead. That is dead. It's done. And so we don't need to be like a dog returned to our own vomit. It's done. Walk in the newness of life. That's baptism now. Walk, walk in what God has for you. Walk in this. Yes, Jesus rose again. And you and I rise again in him. Eternal life is not one day. Resurrection is not one day. The, the whole idea of resurrection is it, it's today. And I love that about the Bible. When the Bible speaks of resurrection, it's not just, it's, it's this dual kind of dichotomy you see in the Greek, but it's almost like, yes, it's one day, but it's happened. It's already not yet. It's this beautiful idea. I love what Philip Brooks says. Uh, maybe I already missed it. Philip Brooks says this. I'll put this back. It's okay. He says, the great Easter truth is not that we are to live newly after death. That is not the great thing. Listen, but that we are to be new here. Not so much that we are to live forever as that we are to and may live nobly now. We are resurrected now. We need to allow this truth to saturate our beings so it will empower us to live honorably today. Listen, Jesus did it today. This idea of debt, it's been paid for. It's nailed to the cross. Walk in the newness of life today. It is available to us today. Um, Martin Luther wrote in like, his biography, like when he wrote in his journal, uh, you can read about this, it's interesting. He writes about a very intense moment, he, a dream he had. And he describes it this way. Basically, he, he had a dream. It felt real to him, but it's a dream. He had this dream that he was in his room, Satan appeared to him, and Satan basically had this long list of all of his sins, every sin that he committed. Satan's in there going, did you do this? I did this. Did you do this? I did this. And basically describes Satan as the accuser of the brethren. He's called the accuser of the brethren. In his dream, that he felt was so intense, he felt was real, but he's just saying, here is his Satan just saying, I can't believe you did this and this and this and this and this. Is this true? It's true, it's true, it's true. Essentially, he writes, though, he's like, at the end of his dream, and what he, he wrote, he goes, but I need you to write this above, and this is what he wrote uh, down. He says, right above this, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. <laughs> it's true, yes. It's true, yes. But the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, cleanses us from all sin. It's nailed to the cross. It's nailed to the cross. It is finished. It is done. N.T. Wright said, the cross was not the defeat of Christ at the hands of the powers, it was the defeat of the powers at the hands, yes, the bleeding hands of Christ. He won. The cross, which looked like loss and death, was in fact victory. The cross, we go, uh, so it's over? We just lost the Messiah? He, he just died? Really? And in reality, he won. And this is what Paul is saying in verse 15, and we'll end the last thing. He, he uses like this analogy of war, essentially. Verse 15, he says this, number four, war or whatever. He says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him. Listen, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him. Um, there was something called a Roman triumph. Um, you know, if you actually go to Rome today, you'll see the Arc de Triumph, the Arc of Triumph. It's, it's sad. It's uh, actually terrible. It's, a, it's an arc that remembers, and it's still there. It's been for a couple thousand years. It's unbelievable. We've seen it in live here. This is crazy. And the detail on it's amazing. Like, it's beautiful, but it's so sad and disgusting. It's essentially, hey, remember 70 AD when Titus went into Jerusalem and destroyed Jerusalem and took everything essentially from the temple and brought it back to Rome? They have this Arc de Triumph to remember that. Look, 
those Jews who were really holding, holding up for a good while in Jerusalem and Masada and were really put up a good fight. We finally won 70 AD. We overtook the Holy Land and it, we took everything back to Rome. And this is called like a, a triumphus or a Roman triumph. And the idea was, this would happen at various periods of time. You can kind of read about this in just Roman history. Do you think about Rome ever, guys? Um, anyway, sorry, that's a little inside. Um, <clears throat> my wife told me to say that. Um, but this idea, <laughs> sorry, I'm distracted. But this idea of this Roman triumph, it's unbelievable. They would basically, this happened only a handful of times, and it's when there, at least there's 5,000 or more defeated in battle by some Roman commander or general. And here's like a Roman triumph. You would go into town, there's, there's trumpets, there's bands, there's musicians playing. Um, there's the spoils of war being brought back into Rome. There's a golden, literally a golden chariot for the, the commander or the general riding and taking in praise. And they would drag behind them, sadly, this is you know, a very gruesome thing, but they'd drag behind them the generals on the opposite, the, the enemy. They'd drag behind them the dead, naked body of different, Roman, uh, different people they defeated in battle. So you have maybe this Roman general going in the Roman triumph. Here's the spoils of war. Here's the band we're celebrating. Paul, which I actually love about Paul, Paul uses this language to describe how Jesus defeated, defeated sin, hell, and death. And Paul's like, man, he put Satan and the demonic realm to an open shame. Like, he dragged, he's triumphing in, in him. We have triumph. And this idea of, like, he's going in saying, look what I've conquered. Look what I defeated. And it's an unbelievable word, word picture. Paul wants to be really strong in his language at times. And he's like, I don't think you understand the triumph or victory we have in him. He defeated sin, hell, death, Satan. It's finished. It's done. It looked like defeat, but in reality, it was triumph. We have this victory in him. Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 2, verse 14. He says, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. The same idea. He always, everybody say always. I don't, I don't always feel that way, but he says he always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. This is filled with Roman idea. Look at God's one. He went into the enemy's territory. He defeated and he's bringing back and saying, here's the spoils of war. Everything we have is in Christ Jesus. It's unbelievable what Paul's saying. It looks like defeat. It was nailed to the cross. It was paid for. It is finished. And he triumphs over them. He disarmed them. He put them to a public spectacle or shame. He's like, he mocked them. If you guys remember in the book Chronicles of Narnia, I was like reading it to my kids this year, and maybe you saw the movie Chronicles of Narnia, but just the idea of when uh, Aslan's being taken to be, you know, pierced, you just see like this de these demonic beings celebrating, like, ah, we did it, right? And you do think about this. In Psalm 22, it talks about the bulls of Bashan. You think about, I can't imagine on the cross the supernatural or spiritual things we don't see, that the celebration, the Messiah is dead, that celebration, and yet you realize, oh wait, that would be the very thing, that would be the very instrument that would bring ultimate glory, that through tragedy came triumph, and that's the cross. It's this weird, tra tragic, and yet triumphant thing that God used, and he put them to an open shame, an open spectacle. It's like, hey, he did it. He paid it all. He finished it. Understand this. He, dis he disarmed. He, he ashamed this, this demonic realm. Three things I put out. He stripped, shamed, subdued. He stripped disarmed the enemy, he shamed the enemy, he subdued the enemy. Paul is saying that. It's in him. The way that we can break down this text today simply is this. Jesus cleansed my past, he canceled my debt, and he crushed my enemy. Listen, church, we have something but to worship about, but thanks be to God. We have something to celebrate, but thanks be to God 
Thank you, God, that you cleansed my past, you canceled my debt, and you crushed my enemy. This is what Paul's writing. He goes, hey, for those of you who are religious and think, well, the circumcision baptism argument, or you're Roman, you're like, there's a huge debt I could never pay, and this idea of like Roman victory, and it's like everything you need is found in him. He paid your debt. Jesus paid it all, all to him, I owe. He paid my debt. He nailed it to the cross. He notarized it. He, he spoke it as finished over it. We celebrate that. I want to encourage you guys, because here's the thing. I, in my heart, at times can bend towards religiosity and feel like I must perform, and I have to just really bend that knee to Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for doing it. I could never perform well enough, and I just surrender to you. On the other hand, too, I realize that I have certain thoughts and ideas about things I've done. How could God really forgive me? How could God really love me in spite of all these things? And he nailed it to the cross. And he condemns shame. And he covers our sin. Confess that he is Lord. That's the encouragement to you. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, know him as your Lord and Savior today. It's one thing to confess him. He says you must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Believe in your heart. Circumcise the heart. Cut away the flesh. Believe in your heart. Jesus is who he claimed to be. Believe in your heart. Jesus rose again and you will be saved. Paul's words, Bible's words, not mine. Confess and believe and you will be saved. Hey, I just want to worship Jesus. I love that we got to sing about him for a little bit in the beginning. Like just like just that beautiful kind of compilation. We want to do that now. We just want to sing about Jesus. We want to praise him. Hey, victory in him. Amen? Everything we need is found in him. Let's pray. Why don't you just bow your heads, close your eyes. We'll just talk to God. Father, we just don't want to, um, we don't want to just read this and think that's so cool in theory. Lord, I ask right now in this place that you would slow my heart my thoughts and everyone in this room, their heart and their thoughts right now, Lord, I ask that the things we just read about, that in you, that we are baptized, circumcised in you, the debt is paid in you, we have victory. Lord, we just want to say thank you. God, I just ask for everyone in this room, in this place, they are yours. And I ask that they would just see that today, that they recognize that, that they would confess that Jesus, you are Lord, that you are the one who defeated the enemy. That God, the, the law that I could not keep was nailed to the cross. Thank you. Thank you that you have given us this new law, this new covenant to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love others, to walk in love. Lord, I ask that we would really fulfill the law now by, by love. And so, Lord, I just ask that you'd be in this place, that we'd worship you, sing to you, celebrate you. Jesus, you conquered the enemy. We just say thank you. Thank you that we are overcomers by our faith, by you, our faith in you and what you have done. And so we just want to praise you, look to you. Jesus, you paid it all. And so we owe you all. We just want to say thank you, God. We just want to praise you now in your precious name, Jesus. Church, why don't we do this? Why don't you stand? We're going to worship. We're going to sing. We're going to praise God. If you want prayer at the end of the worship, we'll have some leaders up here. But I just want to invite you not to rush out. I want to invite you to celebrate the fact that te telestai, it is finished. Amen? Let's worship.